This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Series which we are calling Living the Lazarus Life. And today we're going to reflect on both God's love and God's timing and even God's glory. So I'll read now the first seven verses of John 11 and focus on this part of the story. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man might be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's pray. Lord, guide us that we might understand your word and how it impacts our lives. Give us the understanding by your Holy Spirit and may your spirit in such a way that we might respond. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I wonder how you are in waiting for things that are moving rather slowly. Getting a book from Amazon used to be fast. Now we have to wait, maybe three weeks. Getting into a grocery store used to be fast. And now... It can be amazingly slow. Getting through a checkout lane and out of the grocery store now also can be so slow. And at the market basket where I go, the line to check out weaves all the way back to the ice cream section and starts creeping there by the bakery all the way to the lines. Now, having to stand and wait is hard enough. But you see, I made a decision at the beginning of this year, no ice cream in 2020. You realize I'm now having to wait right by the ice cream, choosing none. I look at pistachio, I think, well, made from nuts. It could be good for us. I look at chocolate almond. I think almonds are good. Maybe we ought to just 
You see, waiting can also put you into various temptations that are not there when you're not waiting. The FedEx overnight guarantee has impacted all of us such that we expect overnight answers to many things. We like answers that come quickly. We value speed. But what do you do when God seems slow? There are lots of temptations that are different when we have to wait. We're now living in our eighth week of a very different pace. And for some, life is a lot slower. For some who are raising little children, we're finding it may be a little faster. But all of us are waiting for something to get better and to return to something we knew before. How do we adjust time schedule that we did not choose and over which we have little control? If you look at the passage with me, I think we're going to learn something about God's timing and ours. We're starting to get to know this story of Lazarus. So today, I'm just going to highlight this one little interchange in verses 1 through 7. I want to start with verse 5. Because in verse 5, we have this amazing sentence which reminds us that Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. That's what it says right in the text. It's a sentence affirming the relationship of Jesus to those three. He's about to do a miracle. And I don't recall another miracle in the text where he knows the people receiving the miracle. Oh, well. And so we don't have any other miracles that have this statement. Oh, and by the way, he really loves Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What an amazing statement. The scripture is so clear that Jesus totally loves the characters in this story. They're in a rich relationship. They've already stepped into the first elements of the relationship with Jesus that takes them into the kingdom of God. The first chapter of John, we are told to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. These are children of God. And at his baptism, Jesus heard God say to him, you're my beloved child, with you I'm well pleased. And you see, in our conversion, in our baptism, you receive the same relationship with the Father. You are God's beloved children. Mary, Martha, Lazarus were God's beloved children. That means your relationship with Jesus Christ is absolutely secure. This is not a daisy relationship with Jesus. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, as if we were basing it on our behavior. God constantly loves us and cares for us. God never unfriends us. God never blocks our calls and never fails to answer our prayers. But remember that no and not yet are answers to prayers as well. There is much 
mysterious about the Christian life. It is not simply you put in a quarter, you put in a quarter, you get a piece of candy at the end. It's not that quid pro quo relationship. It's a relationship of love and development. He loves us and he wants us to grow. So a great line from James Boyce came to me this week in study. Learn to interpret circumstances by God's love rather than interpreting God's love by circumstances. Let me say it again. Learn to interpret circumstances by God's love rather than interpreting God's love by circumstances. You see, we learn to begin with God's love for us. And in that light, then you analyze what are the circumstances. But if you let your circumstances dictate to you, oh, God must not love me now. You must not love me now. You're going to come up with the wrong answer. And when life changes for us and when it becomes difficult, for many people, it becomes hard to know that we are loved. This relationship of love is cultivated day by day. It's the first thing you teach a child about the faith. Probably the first song you ever got to know in church was Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Knowing that love makes all the difference in our lives. Margaret Robertson was in the first church where I was a senior pastor. She had worked for years in mission work and then had come to Whitworth University to be the school nurse for years in that college she was nearly a hundred when I got to know her. And she lived in a group home, a group retin by 14 room. Her body was failing. Her eyesight was failing. She loved so much to read. And yet it was becoming harder and harder to read. Yet every time I visited her or Sarah visited her, she had a joke. She was the repository of the world's jokes. And every time I visited her to try to cheer her up, she wanted to pray for me and find out what she could pray for in me. Joy just overflowed and spilled out of this nearly 100-year-old woman. And you know why? It was because she knew she was loved, deeply loved by God. If you don't know, that you are loved by God, are you going to be able to endure the challenges in your life, the challenges in your life and the waiting in your life and the temptations in your life? Trust what the word says. Mary and Martha and Lazarus and you are loved by God. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 prays that the Ephesian Christians will know the height and length and depth and breadth of the love of God for them. He wants to make sure they know how big it is, how high it is, how deep it goes, because he knows we might not understand it. If you don't know the love of God for you, then this coronavirus season, 
is a very important time to come into face-to-face relationship with the love of God for you. Secondly, in the and Mary, and he remains two more days where he is before going to help. He lingers for two more days. He delays for two more days. The delay is 48 hours. So suddenly we have to put love and lingering side by side. And when you think about it, there are a lot of delays in the Bible. Lots of waiting and lingering. Lots of temptations while we're waiting. God left Paul in prison in Caesarea in Acts 24 for two more years. And then he goes on a shipwreck that, dang, that delays him longer. And then he's in prison again in Rome. Paul could have done a lot of prison again in Rome. Paul could have done a lot of amazing work in missions. And yet he's lingering. But he's doing exactly what God needed him to do. And it's then and there he begins to reflect on the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God for him. Joseph in the Old Testament lingered in prison, forgotten by somebody who said they were going to put in a good word for him and get him out. And the text tells us he lingered two more years, but very loved by God. Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament wait 24 years for the promise of the son to come true in Isaac. Abraham is a word in Hebrew that means the father of many. And for most of his life, he was the father of none. And it must have stung every time he heard it. And he waits, and he waits. And yet, God was not slow in bringing about the promise that has blessed so many. So one of the things that the Christian who is loved by God must learn to do is count differently. And to get into God's way of counting, we watch clocks. We count days and hours and minutes and sometimes seconds. God counts in seasons. A thousand years is like a day to God and a day like a thousand years. You heard it in the passage Sarah read. You see, there are two words in the New Testament for time. One is chronos. We get chronology from that word. And that's the ticking of the clock. The other word is kairos, which means appointed times. And the interpretation of your life requires that you pay attention to both kinds of time. When you are loved by God, time functions differently. Love does not forget. Love does not neglect. Love might delay some things. Hint, do not interpret a delay as God's not loving, or that God's love is missing, there's something more. Trust God's love when it all seems stuck. Choose to trust when you don't necessarily feel like trusting. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells of a time when her father took her with him on a train to Amsterdam. She was so excited 
to get to go on a train with him. She had hardly left the house when she began to ask him anxiously about her ticket. She wanted to see it, and she wanted to hold it. And her father answered her quietly, I have the ticket, but I'm not going to give it to you until it's time to get on the train. If I let you have it now, you might lose it. But when the time comes, it will be there. That experience made a lasting impression on this young Corey Ten Boom, and it helped her understand why so many things are withheld from us until the proper time. It actually guided her through that awful period of her life when she was in a concentration camp and not knowing what would happen. If we know everything about God's timing now, we might just crumble under the weight of it. Instead, let us trust that we belong to God and that he knows best. The third thing to notice in the sermon is back to verse 4. When Jesus hears that they have a need in the town where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are, and he hears how sick Lazarus is. He says, this is for God's glory. He's framing the whole event. This is for God's glory. Now, the glory of God means the unveiling of God. When something is for the glory of God, it means that through this event, we will see something we couldn't see otherwise. In John 9, the disciples see a man born blind. It upsets their view of sin and suffering, for they were taught that if you sin, then you will suffer. Therefore, if you're suffering, you must have sinned. How does that work with a man born blind? The disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his father? This is for the glory of God. My mother had debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. She lived in pain every day of her life that I knew her. She had 27 major operations on nearly every joint in her body. And yet she was such a godly woman. As a teenager, I would question God and ask for her healing. My mother went to all kinds of prayer meetings to be healed, and she never was. When I asked her how she interpreted this disappointment, she said that her life and this suffering were for the glory of God. It didn't add up to my way of measuring, but there's a different measure in God's great design. And living for God's glory was her only hope, and that living for God's glory was her only hope, and that was her favorite passage. It's for the glory of God. So when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. That means, if you do the math, that if Jesus had come immediately, he would have gotten there two days after Lazarus had died. He would have been there two more days to be present to the family, two more days to comfort them, and he would have been too late to touch Lazarus and stop the death. Now, Mary and Martha may have thought Jesus could pull off one of those long-distance healings that he does from time to time. But to get what Jesus was hoping we would see here, there had to be a resurrection of someone really dead, because he's now foreshadowing 
his own death. Now, there were a series of people in Israel who had been rumored, at least, to have been raised from the dead, been dead one or two days. Perhaps they swooned and came back in some ways, but one or two days had been the maximum up to this point. But there were no stories about somebody being dead four days and rising from the dead. Four days was really dead. As the coroner in The Wizard of Oz says, most really sincerely dead. Really dead. Martha reminds us how dead he is by telling Jesus that he stinketh. That's the way the King James refers to this. He stinketh. No one had ever participated in a resurrection of someone dead for four days in Israel. Now, on Easter Sunday, several weeks ago, we heard the rest of this story. And Jesus calls him forth from the tomb, and the Lazarus story opens up to the disciples that they could trust even at Christ's death, even though they couldn't seem, they couldn't seem to do it. So back to the question. In God's timing, is he slow? Is Jesus slow? There's a lot of things that happen slowly in the Christian faith. William Carey, the famous missionary to India, waited seven years before his first convert. Is he slow? Christy Wilson, who taught me missions and seminary, waited 25 years in Afghanistan for the very first Afghani convert. We've been living in the midst of a pandemic for eight weeks. Do we know we're still loved? Have we yet seen the glory of God? Is God slow? Second Peter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow keeping his promises as some understand slowness. The hymn you sang right before I began to preach was written by a man named William Cooper. It looks like it's Cowper, but it's pronounced Cooper. God moves in a mysterious way. He lived from 1731 to 1800. He had a long struggle with mental illness and with depression. Later in his life, he became part of a church where John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, was the pastor. And Newton helped him, and he helped Newton in this congregation. And Cooper, like many believers, struggled with depression and doubt. He lingered in this state where he didn't know if God really, actually loved him. Three different times in his life, he decided that he commit suicide by falling off a bridge into the Thames River in London. So he hired a carriage and told the driver to take him to the river. However, suddenly a thick fog fell over London such that the driver of the carriage could not find the river. He drove around for almost an hour and a half trying to find it, and suddenly they found themselves back where they began at Cooper's house, and the driver let him off concluding what he just discovered, that's when he wrote the hymn you just sang. God moves in a mysterious way. Folks, he is there in our struggles. He is there 
when it is slow. He is there when we don't understand how much God actually loves us. You're God's beloved child. So in conclusion, where does God seem to be slow in your life? Are you waiting for a relationship to begin? Are you waiting for a child? Could it be that you're waiting for a different calling for work? Are you waiting for a healing? Are you waiting for a child spiritually to come home? Are you waiting for wholeness in your soul or something that happened to you so long ago you can't get it out somehow? Are you waiting for something big like peace on this earth or are you waiting something for small like a friend that really cares? Could it be? that we're simply waiting for this season to be over. But don't miss God's love. And don't miss God's timing. There may be glory for us to see right There may be glory for us to see right now. God is not delayed. The Lord does love you. Trust him. And watch the Lord work in your very life. Let's pray. Lord, now take this word and seal it upon our hearts in such. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.